Good morning. My name is Aaron. Please stand for the reading of the word. This morning, I'll be reading from Luke chapter 19, verses 5 through 10. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Aaron. You guys have a seat. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you again. Um, Thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to know you. And um, God, not just to know you, but to to live for you and to show the world who you are through the way that we live our lives and through the words that we say. God, thank you, as Aaron just read, what Jesus said, that his mission, you sent him on a mission to this earth to come and to seek and to save the lost. Every one of us, every one of us are or were the lost. And so we thank you that you've come to seek and save us and so many others in this world who are not yet saved. God, that you have come to seek and save them, and now you're using us to do it. And so, God, I pray today that you would um, just just teach us that in our hearts and let us go out of here today um, willing, willing and and passionately um, pursuing that mission to go and seek and save the lost in the name of Jesus with the gospel of Jesus for the glory of Jesus in all things. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Harrison Okene holds a world record. I don't know if you've heard of Harrison Okene, probably not, but he holds a world record as the only human being in modern history to have survived nearly three days at the bottom of the ocean. Um, It was May 26, 2013. Harrison was working on a tugboat alongside an oil rigger. And while he was on that tugboat, a rogue wave, one of these just massive waves came and swept over the boat and capsized his tugboat and it sank to the bottom of the ocean. Harrison, it actually happened in the middle of the night and Harrison had woken up. He just happened to be up while it happened. Um, He went to use the restroom and water began to rush in as the boat flipped over from this rogue wave. And he sees some of his shipmates being like swept out into the hallway and in the water. And um, he himself was swept down the hallway into the restroom, a restroom about four feet uh, wide. He was swept in there. And as the ship sank to the bottom of the Gulf of Guinea off the coast of Nigeria, about a hundred feet down, by God's grace, he survived. And the the ship was literally upside down, sitting on the bottom of the ocean, 100 feet down. And Harrison is just kind of in this four-foot bathroom with an air pocket, able to still breathe. Um, He he realizes over time, as he begins to kind of battle hypothermia, gets very cold, he spends a good 24 hours in there and and eventually realizes, okay, I got to do something. I got to figure out some way to get warm or I'm going to die down here because a rescue effort had already happened. He didn't know this, but within that first 24 hours, a rescue effort happened. They didn't find anything. They didn't see any signs of life. Um, So they had gone and nobody was coming at the moment. So um, he knew if there was any chance of survival, he had to get somewhere else. So he swam down the hallway, 
found another place, sort of a mechanical room, another air pocket. So he, he stayed in there, ripped a wallpaper off the walls, wrapped himself in it as best he could uh, to keep warm. And honestly, um, he, he told the story later that he just began to call out to the name of Jesus. He, he is a Christian man. Um, and in fact, the day before, his wife had texted him Psalm 54 and a prayer for him. And it's a Psalm of deliverance, which is such a cool thing um, of God delivering us, right? And he was just praying Psalm 54 as he sat there in the dark. For the next two days, Harrison sat on the bottom of the ocean floor, just able to do nothing but just sit in darkness, waiting, hoping, praying that he would be found, that someone would seek and save him. We've been in this series for a few weeks now, Doubt and Deconstruction. And we've, first two weeks, we've kind of walked through a couple of different sort of apologetic things, right? Like what, sort of some questions people wrestle with about um, Christianity. We talked about scripture and is it true? Is it valid? Can we believe that? Uh, The next week um, when Dr. Posey was here, he talked about the problem of evil and, you know, people wrestle with that. And if God's so good, why do bad things happen and things like that? And then last week, um, really, we kind of looked inward to ourselves and just asked, who are we as a church? right? Do, do we love one another? Are we being the church that we're called to be? Because so many people have left the church. That's what the series is about. Those who are really kind of leaving the church, deconstructing their faith or deconverting from Christianity altogether because of maybe the problems that they see within the church. And so many are walking out the doors because they don't find a, a loving, compassionate, Christ-like church when they show up. And I hope that we are that. But then today, as we end up this series, um, here's, the, here's the whole point of today. The point of today is just kind of asking the question, who are we as a church and as Christians when it comes to those out in the world, those who don't yet know Jesus? Last week we talked about kind of who we are here, but who are we out there? That's the question today. The the truth is so many people in this world never step foot in a church or, or never come to faith in Jesus, which is ultimately the goal. It's not so much about walking through these doors as it is about coming to Jesus, right? And so many people don't do that because Christians, us, we are not on mission out there. We're, we're, not, we're not seeking them out. We're not going and sharing the gospel with them. I, I've done all sorts of research on this and the, the stats are kind of all over the place. It's hard to tell um, exactly what the numbers are, but suffice it to say that uh, pretty much every survey shows that most Christians, most Christians have never shared the gospel with anybody most. Um, some statistics say up to 90% of Christians have never led anybody to Jesus and well over half, probably 60, 70% have never shared the gospel at all. And guys, that's really our, our main mission in this world is to go and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And yet um, it just seems like we're, we're kind of missing that mission sometimes. And like I said last week, this is not a, a series to throw stones at anyone, but maybe just to kind of rouse us up. If anything, I'm, I'm kind of hoping to provoke you this morning to just provoke you to start thinking, am I on the mission that Jesus has given me? Are we on the mission that Jesus has given us as a church to go and make disciples, to be Jesus's witnesses, to seek and to save the lost? Uh, Carrie Newhoff, did a post, uh, I think it was last year, and he, was, he, he wrote a post about kind of how the, how the non-Christian world sees Christians, you know, what they think of Christian people, and he was asking all these, all these different questions um, to, to non-Christians about how they see Christians, and uh, kind of the overwhelming response, and different surveys have, have kind of found the same thing, is that mostly non-Christians see Christians as people who are just against everything, 
That's what they think about Christians. Christians are just grumpy people. Christians are people who are against this and against that, and they hate this group of people, and they don't like what this thing does, or they're you know, affiliated with this political party, but not with that one or whatever. Like Christians are just sort of divided and, and, and divisive in the world, and they just know us for what we're against. The question today is simply this, shouldn't they know us for what we're for? I think they should. And hopefully today we kind of walk out of here with that mindset of let's go show the world what we're for. Uh, Kerry Newhoff in that post, he said this, and I thought this was a really great way of putting this. He said, the right response to this for the church is not better PR, it's life change. The right response to, he's talking about to, to, Christian, to non-Christians seeing us this way. The right response for us isn't getting mad at non-Christians who don't see the better side of the church or the potential of the church. Instead, here's the right response. Repentance, humility, reconciliation, and a new reality moving forward. Those are good places to start. And so what Newhoff said, and I agree with him. I think the right response for us as we think about how the world views the church is not, oh, let's just get mad at them or oh, they don't understand or whatever. Or, we don't agree with these things or we're just gonna, but the right response for us is just simply, let's be humble. And maybe let's ask ourselves, do we need to repent about how we're maybe treating people who don't know Jesus? And man, let's just seek out reconciliation and, and, and live our lives with love and compassion and grace for people who don't yet know the Lord, the way that Jesus lived his life for people. Um, most of us know, probably, uh, John 3, 16. I don't want to read John 3, 16. Really, John 3, 16 and 17. It says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And 17 says this, not as well known, but here's what he said after that. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? Save the world through him. Why did God send Jesus here? To save the world, not to condemn the world. And yet I think maybe we sometimes kind of get a mindset about non-Christian people of condemnation towards them. They don't believe what we believe. They don't live the way that we live. And so we just get angry. We get frustrated. You ever get frustrated when people don't believe what you believe? I get, I get like that sometimes I think. And, and so maybe today we just begin to see ourselves in John three seventeen. that God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world and he doesn't send us, send us to condemn the world. He sends us to share the gospel so that Jesus can keep doing what he's always been doing, save the world. All right. That's why he came. So to Zacchaeus' story, Luke 19, if you have your Bible, Luke 19. I love this story. I'm going to read the whole story real quick. Um, Aaron read part of it. But I just wanted to look at this story today because I think this is a beautiful picture of exactly what we're talking about. Jesus going to a man in a place and a man who doesn't yet know him, who is living a life that is all sorts of outside the bounds of God's law, right? Zacchaeus is a Jewish man who should know the law of God. And yet he basically has sold himself out to the Romans, right? And he's a tax collector. He's been defrauding and robbing and ripping off his own people for personal gain to climb the ladder, right? That's how he lives his life. Just not a great dude. Okay. And um, Jesus is coming through his town in Jericho and Zacchaeus just wants to see him. Like he's heard about this guy, Jesus. He climbs up in a tree to, to see him. So let's read this story, Luke 19. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through and a man was there by the name Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Again, wealthy because he was robbing people of their money, cheating them. He was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. 
When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. How amazing is this mall? Like, I don't think we appreciate the gravity of Jesus stopping what he's doing right? Going on this, probably teaching, probably healing people, doing all sorts of things in Jericho to stop and see this dude up in a fig tree who nobody likes and to not just talk to him, but even to say his name. Like Jesus knows his name. I don't know. Maybe that's the whole point for some of you in here today, that Jesus knows the name of sinners. And he says, I, I, I'm going to come eat at your house today. Like that's, that's an intimate act in first century Judaism. To go sit down and eat a meal with somebody in their home, you don't do this, right? Not with sinful people. And so Jesus says, I need to come stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Listen to verse seven. And here's the reason people are not coming to church. Right here is verse seven. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. The church kids are mad that Jesus doesn't want to hang out with them. He wants to go talk to a sinner. Church kids are throwing a fit. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today, Salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man, he's talking about himself, the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus came to him. I, you know, I don't know, it doesn't say exactly why he went through Jericho, what his entire mission was there as far as Jericho went. He's probably just walking through, headed towards Jerusalem towards the end of his life. But Zacchaeus was the mission. Zacchaeus was more than a mission, right? Zacchaeus was a man. He's a human being to Jesus. And he stops what he's doing. The most important man in the world, by the way. You ever have the excuse about your life and why you haven't done whatever in your life because you're too busy? You got too much going on. Your schedule just doesn't allow it. You can't quite fit it in. Literally the most important human being to ever walk the earth the entire way to the world on his shoulders. That's not a metaphor. That's literally true. And he stops to see him. Zacchaeus, I need to eat at your house. I need to come stay with you to build a relationship with a, a sinful man. Like that matters. It mattered to Zacchaeus. Isn't it, isn't it cool that uh, one day, me and you, I think we'll get to hang out with Zacchaeus and talk to him. You want to talk about a dude that I guarantee you has the joy of the Lord for eternity? It's a guy like Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus knew he didn't deserve this moment. And that's what you and I forget because sometimes if we're the church people, and I really, I'm just talking to you, right? If you grew up in church like me, if you grew up in church, you've been around this for a long time, you've been doing it for a while. Over time, I think the temptation for church kids is for us to start to believe somehow we deserve to be here. We deserve to sing the songs to him. We deserve to read his word, to have his word. We deserve to be able to pray. We deserve to have his love on our lives and our, his grace covering over. Like somehow we've earned that because we've lived in it for so long and we just forget. No, we don't, right? Like, like we have never, not for a second, deserved the grace that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. 
Not once have we deserved it. Zacchaeus knows that, I guarantee you, in this moment. And it's evident because at the end of the story, Jesus doesn't even really teach him anything, say anything to him other than just hang out. And what does Zacchaeus do? He repents. He's like, man, if I've, if I've stolen anything, I want to give it back. Jesus, I just want to follow you. I want to do what you want me to do. And Jesus says, this man's saved. Why? Because true repentance had come into his life. He understood the grace that Jesus was showing him in this moment. Let us never forget God's grace on our lives. Because as soon as we forget that, we get real selfish real quick. But man, if we will remember God's grace and see his mercy to us in Jesus Christ, that is the foundation we stand on to go on mission every single day, to share that grace with other people. Right? You remember the woman at the well? And she receives the grace of Jesus on her life, just living in sin. Yes, living in sin. And Jesus talks to her a little bit about that, but really he just wants to show her I'm the Messiah and she sees it. And then she goes back into town and does what? Tells everybody about it. Tells everybody about it. Peter, having denied Jesus and then been reinstated by Jesus. And then what does he do? He goes and tells everybody about it. Paul, persecuting the church, killing Christians, becomes a Christian saved by the grace of Jesus. And then what does he do? He goes and tells everybody about it. Because that's what grace does to us. That's what it should do to us. And so maybe a good question for all of us is this. If, if we're not going and sharing the good news of Jesus, do we really remember the grace that he's shown us? I think if we remember it, man, we'll want to share it. That, that's just my encouragement today, that if you would remember it, that, that you'd want to go and share it. And he says his mission, right? Jesus gives us his little mission statement in, in Luke 19. Uh, right here in verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The son of man, it's himself, right? Um, that's, a, that's a term from Daniel 7, 13. The Jews would understand that son of man, the one who has sovereign authority and rule and power as a human being on this earth. Jesus is fully God and yet fully man. He has sovereign rule, all authority. That's from the, the book of Daniel. And he's saying, that's me, son of man. And guess what I came to do? I came to seek and save the lost. That's my purpose. That's my mission on this earth. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 28, 18 and 19, he says, go make disciples. All authority is mine. Now go make disciples, right? Go, go baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's the great commission. That's what Jesus told his disciples to go and do. Go make disciples. I came to seek and save the lost. Now you go and seek and save the lost in my name. You're not saving them, I'm saving them, but you go and you make disciples. But I think sometimes maybe we, we almost kind of put the cart before the horse when it comes to this, right? So when we think about, if you're a Christian person, you think about non-Christian people, people who don't yet know Jesus and kind of you, you see them, you're around them, maybe you work with them, maybe they're in your family, maybe they live in your neighborhood, people that you're around who you know don't go to church, don't know the Lord, aren't Christian people. I think sometimes we kind of put the cart before the horse when we interact with them. And here's what I mean by that. We expect them to live like Christians before they become Christians. You get what I'm saying? And I think this is where the issue starts to arise when non-Christians think about the church. When they think about what we're against, instead of what we're for, they think that way because that's how we live sometimes. We start to put standards on them, morality things on them that are taught in scripture or ways of living their life following Jesus that we're taught as Christians, but we're putting that on people who are not yet following Jesus, right? Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and then what? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you comes after they become Christians, 
Why, why in the world would we expect people who don't know Jesus to be following Jesus, to be obeying Jesus? In Romans chapter eight, Paul actually says they can't do that. Not only won't they do that, they can't do that. that that's like asking a cat, that's like teaching a caterpillar how to fly, right? Something else has to happen first, right? Some change needs to happen first. There has to be a transformation. Listen, so for us, when we begin to interact with people who don't yet know Jesus, I think Jesus' model with Zacchaeus and his model with the woman at the well, I think those are great examples of, man, just getting to know a person where they're at and just showing them Jesus' love and his grace. You know what, you know what sin we care about in the lives of non-believers? It's that they don't believe in Jesus. That's the sin we care about. There's all sorts of sins they may be living in, but that's not our concern, not right now. Our concern with them is you just don't know Jesus yet. I want you to see Jesus, I want you to know Jesus, and I'm gonna do everything I can do every day to show you his love and his mercy and his compassion to serve you and love you and honor you as a human being made in the image of God so that hopefully, maybe, you would see Jesus in me and I could share with you the gospel. And then, guess what? When they do actually come to believe the gospel, then we can start to teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded them. But not before, because it just doesn't make sense the other way around. And I think it's what we do sometimes. I just think we kind of, we reverse those, that, that order of things. And that frustrates them and it frustrates us. Because then we become really, honestly, we become judgmental. We begin to judge them by Christian standards. And they're not Christians. Man, let's just love them. Just love them, show them Jesus as much as we possibly can. And then hopefully they do come to know Jesus. And then we get to walk with them to live out that life. So Harrison Okene, he's on the bottom of the ocean floor, 100 feet down, Gulf of Guinea, boat upside down. Another rescue mission was sent out to collect dead bodies. That's why it was sent, actually not a rescue mission, just to collect dead bodies. Um, they were just thinking it's been two and a half days up to this point. 60 hours. They're just like, okay, let's go try to find the body so we can give their families some peace. And once they got to the ship, they had to break through two metal doors and navigate the pitch black um, water in the upside down boat. And a man named Nico Van Heerden, he was the rescue swimmer, the, the salvage swimmer. And he's swimming through the boat towards the upper compartment where Harrison was actually located, not having any idea what he would find uh, when he got there. And Harrison, meanwhile, he's kind of hearing the noises, right? He's down at the bottom. He's still alive. He's suffering from CO2 poisoning at this point. Hypothermia is setting in, but he's hearing this. And he's hearing the banging and he's just thinking, okay, like somebody, somebody's coming. He doesn't know what's going on, but he sees a light. He sees a light coming down the hallway, right? And he can't, like, he, he's really, like I said, CO2 poisoning. He can't really shout. He can't really do anything, but he's just hoping, please come in here. Please see me. And the guy turns and he leaves and he goes away. And Harrison's just, man, they're never going to find me. But Nico Van Heerden, he actually circled back and he came back down the hallway again and he comes into the room uh, where Harrison was. And actually, um, there's, a, there's a video clip. On the ceiling, yeah? Mm -hmm. okay. What's that? Okay. All right, you found one, yeah? He's alive, he's alive. Okay, keep him there, keep him there. All right, just, just, all right. All right. hold him there, okay? Just keep him there. All right, just keep him there and keep him calm, okay? All right, just um, just reassure him, pat him on the shoulder. Okay. All right. 
scientists did some, some research on this about where Harrison was, the depths that he was at uh, in the ocean and the, the air compartment that he had. And they estimated Harrison would have had about 60 hours to possibly live on the bottom of that ocean. And they saved him literally in the 60th hour. They came to him at the 60th hour and they got him out of that boat and they got him back to life. Um, Romans 5, 6 says at just the right time, while we were still powerless, that Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time. Just the right time. Jesus came. Now listen, I think sometimes when we think about that, that ungodly person, or we think about the one who was lost, like Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Again, I think sometimes we just hear that verse, we think about that idea, and we think, oh, that's them. Jesus came to seek and save those people who were ungodly, those people who were lost, and we forget it's talking about us. It's talking about me and you. We were the ones that he saved at just the right time that he came to seek us and save us and bring us back to life. Just like Harrison O'Kenne and Nico Van Heerden coming and finding him at the last moment to bring him back to life. That's what Jesus did for us. And that was Jesus's mission. You know what's changed about the mission of Jesus in the last 2000 years? You know what's changed? Really only one thing. It's the ones who carry it out. That's the only thing that's changed. The mission is still the same to go and seek and save the lost. Jesus died for the ungodly at the right time. And so now is the right time for us to go and seek and save, help, help do, uh, con continue that mission that Jesus has started to go and seek out those who are lost so that Jesus can do the work that he's been doing for 2000 years to save the lost. The mission hasn't changed. Only thing that's changed is those who carry it out. It was Jesus, then it was the apostles, then it was the first century disciples, then the second century disciples, and now guess what? It's the 21st century disciples. It's us. We are the ones who are called to go on that rescue mission. And we may not know what we find when we go out there, and it may be weird, it may be awkward, it may be hard, and sometimes those conversations, we don't have all the answers and we don't know what to say. Let me just give you some encouragement. Start with this. Start by just saying, hi, my name is, what's your name? that simple. Zacchaeus, I want to eat at your house tonight. You, you build a relationship with a person, a human being, and you get to know them and you don't judge them. You don't judge them for how they're living or where they're at in that moment. You just want them to see Jesus. What if Nico Van Heerden had found Harrison on the bottom of the ocean and he reaches out and Harrison grabs his hand and he, he sees Harrison and realizes, man, I could save this guy. And he goes, wait, 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 before I take you up there, um, who'd you vote for in the last election? Hey, before I take you up there real quick, like you don't, like, you don't smoke weed or anything like that, do you? Like, before I take you up there, you're not like sleeping around, are you? Because I just need to make sure I'm taking like the right guy up there. That's stupid, right? That's stupid, right? What if Jesus had said, Zacchaeus, before you come down, I need you to repent and give back everything you ever stole. He didn't say that. What if he showed up with the woman at the well and was like, hey, hey, before you and I have a conversation, you need to go break up with the dude you're sleeping with right now. What if he told Peter, 
man, you need to fix all this junk you got going on before me and you are going to be friends. He did none of that. He got to know people. He spent time with them. and He loved them right where they were. Listen, so that maybe they wouldn't stay where they were. You get what I'm saying? But that's not your job and my job to change them, and to make them be whatever version of Christian we want them to be right now. And it's our job to go share the gospel, love people well. And so here's what we're going to do, um, just as we close our time out today. And again, this, this whole series, y'all, it's just about hopefully trying to break down some obstacles and some barriers between people who may be struggling with believing what Christianity teaches. And honestly, the apologetic stuff, the problem of evil and all that kind of thing, like I, I do think that's an obstacle to some people, but I think the biggest obstacle comes right here. I think the biggest obstacle for most people is us. Not living out what we say we believe. Because the truth is, if we really believe the gospel so good, we really believe Jesus is so good, we really believe grace is so wonderful, and yet we don't live it out, and we don't share it, then they're not going to believe that we believe it's that wonderful. Right? Like we got to live it, and we got to show it, and we got to speak it when we get those opportunities. But let's not put the cart before the horse, man. Let's just show people Jesus by the way that we live, and let's go and seek so that Jesus can save the lost. That's our job. My hope this year um, as we as we move forward, and again, tomorrow we're going to have celebration, or next week we're going to have celebration Sunday, we're going to celebrate the things God has done this past year. My hope is that next year on Celebration Sunday, man, that that would just continue and we would be able to tell stories of how God sought out and saved the lost through us, that he would use us for that end and that reason, right? We've seen that this year and we're gonna see it this upcoming year. I believe that, but it's going to take us being willing to be on mission, right? Swim down those dark hallways, go where we may not be comfortable always going to find people who just need to see that light and just need to feel that hand and just need to have somebody there with them to show them who Jesus is. Man, I wish we could have watched the video. Go watch it today. You're going to hear Nico Van here and go, he's alive. He's alive, right? Like just that amazement, y'all. You bring somebody to know Jesus, you'll understand what that feels like. He's alive. They're alive, right? Because you felt that for yourself and you're going to get to experience that with somebody else. I want to see some of you guys baptizing some friends and some family in here this year. I want to see that. I'm praying for that, and I believe we'll see it happen. So here's what we want to do. Um, we're just going to have a, a song that just plays for a few minutes, because really I just want to give us a time to pray, just a time to pray in here, um, just to ask the Lord um, to do this work. And here, here's what um, Jesus actually says to us in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. He says this, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching the synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. This is how Jesus saw people. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, here's what we're gonna do this morning. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 
we're going to pray right now, um, just while we listen to a song um, playing. We're just going to have a time of prayer where we do what Jesus just told us to do. We're going to ask the Lord of the harvest, Jesus, to send us out into the fields. Because guess what? There's a harvest out there. And every time the Bible talks about harvest, he's talking about people, right? People that God is wanting to collect and bring to himself. So let's pray for that. Let's ask the Lord to send us. Ask him where he might want to send you. Ask him for a name of a person in your life right now that doesn't yet know Jesus that he can send you to. So let's just take some time. Scott, where you at? Let's pray for that. What's up? Just talking to a gentleman who goes to church here. Um, he's not actually here today, and I didn't ask him if I could share this story, so I won't say his name um, this past week. But he, we were talking, we went to just have coffee together, and he, he told me that, uh, man, God had just laid it on his heart to share the gospel with people. And um, he just went to Kroger. He went to Kroger uh, Wednesday or Thursday and um, just started sharing the gospel with people. And he said, I shared it with like 20 people and two people prayed that they would receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I was like, that's amazing, <laughs> right? He's alive. He's alive, right? Like, that's it. That's it. And two out of 20, y'all, two out of 20. And you know what? That, you look at that and you go, that's 18 failures. You look at that and you go, that's two new lives. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And that's our job. I was like, man, that's amazing. And he was actually, hopefully y'all will, y'all will know who this is. I didn't ask his permission to share, so I won't tell you. But um, he was like, man, I kind of want to start doing that as a ministry of the church. I was like, yes, let's do it. Uh, let's make it like an evangelism ministry. Let's go and um, share the gospel. Love it. So listen, just an encouragement and a challenge maybe, okay? Um, as you were praying right there, maybe somebody did come into your mind. Just a thought about somebody you know who's not a Christian, somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet. You know, listen, maybe somebody in this room, maybe it's you right now. You don't know Jesus yet. And I want to tell you, just like Jesus uh, told Zacchaeus, man, he came to seek and save the lost. He, he did that for me. He do that for you. He died for your sins. He rose again to save us from sin and death. Just come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then receive that grace. If you've received it, go and share it. That's my encouragement to all of us in this room, all right? So listen, um, hey, look, as you leave today, if you do need um, specific prayer, um, I'm going to hang out right here. Anybody on the prayer team, if you want to come up and just hang out, um, if you need prayer today, please come up here. We'd love to pray with you um, this morning. Yeah, and, and, and just go this week, and maybe if that person's in your mind, think about who you can just start to tell about Jesus and, and show the love of Christ, all right? Let me pray for us, and we'll head out. Lord, thank you so much for Oh man, thank you for today and just letting us be here to worship you together. And um, God, now as we as we go out of this place, I pray that we would be uh, every bit as much the church tomorrow as we feel like we are today and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and beyond. God, just lead us to go to share the good news of Christ. Let us seek those who don't yet know you. And God, I pray that you would save the lost through us and, and you would add to our number daily. Your word says those who are being saved as we love one another and love the world as you love the world and go and share the good news of Jesus. So send us to that mission, God. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Y'all have a great Sunday.